difficulty, but a teenager, we've had lots of teenagers helping out today. I had to have Jay, I had to have Jamie in here earlier helping me with my new camera. And Mary's just had her daughter in helping her with the uh, with the laptop and technical stuff. But we're there. We're there. So hello, the normal one o'clock. Um, hopefully you've all got your coffee and you're all ready. This is my lovely friend, Mary Coakley Burns, who I've known. <sighs> now, how old is Ashling? Uh, well, she was two. She's 27. So it's 25 years. 25 yeah. years I've known Mary. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, long friendship and a lovely friendship that I value very much. And the reason I've asked Mary to come on today is because Mary is a cruise. Oh, I'm going to get this wrong, aren't I? Is it a bereavement counsellor? Yeah, volunteer. Volunteer. Called, yeah, bereavement volunteer. Mm. Yeah. And coping with loss and um, the challenges around loss are something that we all encounter in our lives, aren't they? And we all lose something or someone of value to us. You know, it's kind of an inevitable part of life. And during these last this last year, it's almost a year now, during this last year of COVID, we've all lost our normal way of life and all the things that we're used to doing. And especially for artists, I, you know, with my one-to-one -one and my mentoring and coaching, we've got a visitor coming in behind us. <laughs> um, who is it? Sorry, Willie. Who's, who's is, you're getting a little visitor. <laughs> it happens all the time. Dogs, animals, you know, children, husbands, often husbands. We had one, you laughed, we had one, Sue Jelly, if you're watching, Sue's husband crawled behind her on the floor to get to a plug. I said, do you know there's a man crawling on the floor behind you? These are I, all know the why, I, know, I know why my husband's come in, because I robbed, <laughs> robbed his laptop. <laughs> he's like, give me so my laptop back. See, he's suffering. He's suffering from he's loss. Suffering. He was on the phone, so I didn't have time to tell him I needed to borrow it urgently. There you go. So he's suffering from loss of something important to him. <laughs> well, he was going to watch me live, but anyway, he can wait till afterwards. He can go and watch with Katrina upstairs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, during this pandemic, I, as you, as Mary knows, and as most of you watching know, I do lots of one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching. And, and I have been dealing with, during, you know, the episodic different lockdowns, uh, there's been a lot of discussion about coping techniques about how to deal with this sense of loss and how to keep yourself on track and the fact that it ebbs and flows. And I thought I need Mary to come and talk to us about the process that you go through that's not the same for everyone, but there are similarities. And Mary trains and does a lot of training in, in grief management, don't you? So I thought you would be the perfect person to come and talk to us about how you recognize this process how some coping strategies complicated grief because some people have lost multiple things not just their way of life but then people as well um, and the emotional and physical impact so I'm going to hand over to Mary and she's going to hopefully talk to us all about all of that and I'll interject and ask my normal annoying <laughs> questions as I go I might get past the first. I'll see. I'll I'll start talking, but I I know we'll we'll get into a conversation. We will. Um, yes, I I I came to to work at Cruise because I had a lot of bereavements myself, and they don't were all so different. Every one was different, and every one 
I coped with in a way, but I, you know, in a different way, um, because they all impacted differently. A different, I was at different ages, different times in my life, different relationships. So that's the main thing to remember that every every bereavement and every loss is unique. It's unique to you, um, but there are similarities. Um, and a lot of people talk about theories and models, and and they are they can be very very helpful, but they don't you know they're not important if they don't mean something to you then that's okay because they are based on what academics have put together from talking to bereaved people so their source of information is us <laughs> the bereaved so you know we can be our own we can do our own models if we want you know so but they can be very very helpful to people that's the important thing they can help people to find their way through their own process but um, it's not like everything should fit into a, a model or a theory, it doesn't. So we work in crews very person-centered. So we're led by the client. The client is the expert on their bereavement. And um, what we bring to, to support them mostly is that we listen. And as they're talking to us about their grief, they're actually listening to themselves as well. And that process allows them to kind of put more sense or at least understand it a, a bit better or maybe see where some of it's coming from, where the complications might be, because we're all, you know, we're all a product of our past. We all got here today from all the things that happened to us and for every person that's different. So it may be that something in particular has affected you more because of something that happened or something you believe, which, you know, was given to you by your past. So sometimes people can, especially, it's funny, but a lot of the clients we get are clients at, at crews, are clients who've lost their parents, adults who've lost their parents. And you might say, well, in the natural scheme of things, that is probably the least complicated, but actually it can be very, very difficult uh, for people because at that point when they lose their parents, they actually, their childhood stops if you know what I mean, they're, they're no longer a child to anybody. So they often look back at their childhood and they look at their relationships and they look at things that made them what they are. And sometimes that process can be very, well, it can feel very strange. Why am I suddenly, you know, thinking about all these things that happened to me? Um, uh, yeah, you start you know, processing, start yeah, processing all that baggage. Yeah, and it can be a very disconcerting in an adult to suddenly be thrown into, you know, a complete feeling of, of being lost. And mm. um, so when they come to us, our job really is to listen um, to maybe normalize it, to try and make people feel that this is okay to be like that. It's understandable. Um, you're not going mad or anything. This is what mm. grief does. And this is what the process is. And if you can somehow stay with it, then it 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 has a, a a natural way of working itself out. Um, the problems arise when people fight against it or don't want to engage with it because they don't want the pain. Because well, grief is painful. It is painful. So you know, it's kind of allowing yourself to feel the pain um, and allowing yourself also to take a break from the pain. <laughs> And not mm. always. So you get you get a different range of people wanting to 
not engage with their sadness because it scares them and they can't really cope with the feelings and people who can't get over the feelings and get on with their life so you get you get both sides of stuckness Mm. so what we say to people is it's normal to do both you have to kind of get on with your life but you also have to feel the sadness so the natural thing the most natural thing would be to kind of flip from one to the other and it could be in a in a day it could be in a week or it could be in years that you flip from one to the other but that's Mm. a natural process just to allow that to happen some days are good days some days are bad days Um, And it's fighting against it is what takes a lot of energy and what scares people the most, really, is just trying not to to feel it. Yeah, I think we've kind of, yeah, we we kind of felt, had that, haven't we, during this pandemic? And and a lot of what you're saying resonates with me. I mean, you know, I've had, um, I lost my father and um, and that caused me a lot of um, heartache is what I would describe it as. Mm. My and yeah. so you have emotional feelings, but you also have physical feelings, don't you, with grief? Mm-hmm. And I definitely mm-hmm. had physical these extreme, and they come. And I mean, I lost my father fourteen years ago now, because Charlie's thirteen, and he was I was pregnant with him when he when my dad died. And I can still feel the pain. I can still feel it now. But you're so right when, you know, all the time I was trying to fight against, you know, hiding it and being, I'm doing the English thing. I'm okay. I'm fine. Um, The minute I actually opened the door to it, I collapsed because it overwhelmed. It it kind of flooded me and overwhelmed me. And that's the the scary thing. But the, the thing about feeling overwhelmed is it doesn't always feel that way. You know what I mean? You can... The feeling of being overwhelmed by something is pretty scary, but almost as if, you know, if you go back to Carl Rogers, who was the person-centered, the person who talked about working person-centered with people, and he said the irony is when you find you can accept something, that's when you can change. So it's it's saying, gosh, today is a bad day, or today is this week's a bad week, or I'm really feeling it, um, kind of exploring that where it is what it is what the feelings are and kind of like saying that's that's okay because i've lost my father it's a Mm. big thing to lose your parents and what does that mean for me and you might find it's about your childhood it's about stuff it's about your relationship with your father it might be things you didn't say things you did say all those things and you will work it out um but you won't always feel overwhelmed the overwhelmed is often more in the beginning for people or if they've shut it down, when it comes back, it feels overwhelming because they've held it down for so long. So it kind of pushes back at a, a stronger, it becomes stronger by being held down. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely felt that, um, that because I'd held it inside myself and I hadn't honoured it and allowed it to be that when, it, when I did kind of, my guard was down and I wasn't looking, mm. Mm. that's how I describe it my guard was down I wasn't looking and it came and got me and I had to deal with it and I'm very glad I did deal with it and obviously I had you in my life at that time very happily and um, helping with some of that and likening that to lockdown these lockdowns that I know the first lockdown was during springtime and we were all and it was all new and novel wasn't it and and as much as 
as much as it was like, oh, this is really trying, it was also the weather was okay. <laughs> and it was, and it was get, a, outside. get outside and it was a novelty as well. You had the novelty factor mm. of, oh, well, we've never experienced anything like this. Now we're in lockdown three. I've definitely started to feel um, a sense of grieving of my normal life of, um, you know, I, I thought I could kind of tolerate it and it would be all right and allow those feelings. And I wonder, you know, I definitely have had some emotional and physical sensations during this lockdown three that have, have like I could liken to a bit of grief, I have to say. And I wonder what you have to say about that as we come, you know, hopefully as we'll come out of this one. Um, and Boris was saying that he can't promise there won't be another one, but he's going to try his absolute best. <laughs> Please, Boris. Come on now. Well, uh, it's, it's, it's ironic, and is it because when people come for grief to us for support in a in a in a, a death of somebody they they care about or somebody that they have a um, a close relationship with, that's the one thing we can't do. We can't change what happened. No, and we can't change what has happened. But the thing is, we can work with how we feel about it, and that can really change it if you know what I mean. You can't change the facts, but you can change how you feel about it. And, and you know, one of the things that happens with grief is that, funny enough, people talk about, I can't see a future, because in your subconscious, that person would have always been in your life. You know, subconsciously, they were part of your future, as well as mm. your present and your past. So when you lose somebody, for a while, your future kind of disappears because you don't know what it's like because that person's gone out of it. So people mm. often can't imagine a future. And you don't re we don't realize how much we have our future in our head all the time. You know, subconsciously, we, have a, we all have a future, even though it's not guaranteed or anything. But we, and so when we lose it first, it can be very, feel very dark and, you know, very scary. Um, and I think for, for, for lockdowns, you know, not having a future, not having a time when we could think this will all be over. I think at first we, I don't know about you, but I felt like we do this now and we'll be all right. And if you, yes. know, you know, we'll escape from it all. We're doing the right thing. And so it's harder and harder to do that as time goes on. But I do, I do think there is a, a bit. Oops, Sorry, it's all right. It's Paul's mechanics over there. <laughs> Um, I don't think, think the world it, is going to end. It's okay. <laughs> we have we have a little bit of light from the the vaccination program. There is some light coming in. So you know, I think that concept of stealing your future is really interesting. I you know in because that's what I'm seeing with the artist is that because an artist's life is very centered around applying for exhibitions taking part in art fairs taking part in exhibitions it's all in the real world and we are taught we tell them to set their goals to have a schedule of things that they're going to um, apply to to set their intentions and start manifesting that visualize you know the very creative visualization and all of a sudden in march every art fair was cancelled every exhibition was cancelled there was no point applying to everything because no one was taking any applications. And and I think I think you may have hit the nail on the head. 
I think that is a really interesting concept of the loss of your future. And then when you and you can be quite optimistic about it in the short term, you think, oh, it's we're doing this and it's going to be over. But now we actually don't know when we can start behaving like that again. When can you start? I know we, after the first lockdown, we started doing the exhibitions again. And they were only up for like two months. And I think we managed one very small event and then we had to lock them down again and we haven't reopened them. And yeah, I think that that loss, that concept of losing your future when we're, our world is set up with this goal setting, isn't it? It's set your goals, have smart goals, intention, set your intentions, manifest, and you can't do any of that because you, you're in the unknown. Your future is unknown at the moment. You don't know when that's all going to start. And and I'm sure you've heard about the concept of, you know, where, where people have to um, reimagine their future. So you have to create yeah. a, new nor a new normal because your yeah. normal that was before you lost the person or the thing no longer exists either. So yeah. you, you're a new normal. Because even if when we get out of the pandemic that we are in now, we'll never forget the fact that we can have a pandemic and life can change yeah. very quickly. So that that will so our new normal is different from our old normal. <laughs> but as you what say, you it's reimagining your future now, isn't it? So mm -hmm. what do you? Yeah. That's something that a process that you go through, reimagining the future, mm. accepting the fact that that has that's gone. We're never, as you say, even though all these things will come back in the fullness of time, we will always have a muscle memory that reminds us that that could be taken away again so what what things and techniques and coping mechanisms and tools do you bring in you know tricky question i know <laughs> is I, can, I can see your face going to stop asking a question um what is what is it what how would you reimagine your future you know thinking about this how do we reimagine our future, accepting that we have the muscle memory and we'll always have the muscle memory now that this could happen well, again? Well, that's that's the individual thing about it, isn't it? Mm. That is it. And it's like it's and you can do that, as I said, when you accept, when you kind of say, well, this is what's happened. So where do we go from here? Mm. Um, and I and I guess that is when they talk about acceptance, people think, oh, you accept that it happened. Yeah. That sounds yeah. like I approve of it. I don't approve of it. Mm -hmm. You know, the same as you lost somebody. You'll never accept that it was right that that person's no longer there. But you accept that it happened and you accept that your life has changed because it happened. And once you kind of come to terms with that, then you can and will. Like we're resourceful. We're amazingly resourceful. Humans are amazing. And clients come to me and tell me how weak they are or you know how vulnerable they feel and how they haven't got the energy or they haven't got the thought and i'm thinking oh wow look at what you're doing already you know look how much you've done already look how much you've adapted look how much sort of energy you you've put into helping other people and doing things and and you're telling me you you can't do it and yet i can see that you can and so that's really the next step is holding the kind of the hope that I see when I'm talking to people, trying to see the, allow them to see that in themselves. Because we do all we can, like 
that's why part of being human is being adaptable isn't it yeah absolutely i think that's the thing isn't it um jane was just saying you don't have to reimagine it completely and absolutely not no. actually what you do is you look back and you see you understand your values and you understand your aspirations and desires and then you go back into your resources and see what you've got to resource your future so you go back and have a little look and you go okay i have to accept that that is not going to happen now but i know i've experienced similar things to this before and i've got this whole bag of resources that i can now go in and pick out it's like when someone's made redundant and they say well i'm never going to work again you say no hang on a minute what skills did you use to <laughs> yeah. do that job now they're yours still they're yours you haven't lost the skills and you haven't lost yeah. the experience and it's the same with this isn't it you have all that skill and experience and resources inside of you they're yours you own them and so you can dig in there and and, and create this new normal using some of that and then setting some new intentions based on what it is you would now like to achieve. And we've done that, you know, by doing this digital stuff. And, um, you know, I, I want to see people, I want to go and um, experience exhibitions again, but actually the blended approach of what I've experienced by experience, this new normal of, mm. you know, you live in Buckinghamshire, I live in Sussex now. We used to live next door to each other. Mm, yeah. And, you know, we've known each other for 25 years and the connection is strong. And we used to have to meet in London or I'd come and see you when I was driving past and what have you. But now the opportunities, now we're able to use Zoom and all these mm. are amazing, are incredible. And, you know, like your daughter, Katrina, finished her degree and her master's during this lockdown time. And she's still got a job. She still managed to get a job, even though she's never, and that's and working from home, never worked out in the world of work, apart from, you know, her student jobs. Student job. <laughs> yeah, her student jobs. So we can, we are, humans are incredibly resourceful, aren't they? Mm. And resilient. Yeah, and, and find ways to do things. I don't know if, if this is a good example or not, but I found two things I found out that, first of all, you never be truly um, indispensable. <laughs> You're never truly indispensable in any cog, in any wheel. But also that like thing, people find their way around things is when I had two bouts of maternity leave and I had these jobs where I thought I was really important and I had a really good function within the cog of the the um it was in the diagnostics industry you know i worked in that yeah um so laboratory testing and that and i had a, a job that i i felt was very robust and so much so i don't think they i only um the first i had two lots of maternity leave so they didn't really replace me as such but when i came back everybody said to me oh yeah we don't do it like that we've always done it like this and i'm going like i was only gone five months and so I realized two things. One is the world closes up and, you know, and people find ways of doing things when you're missing. But also that like you can find your fight your way back in <laughs> and reestablish. Um, so like everybody does adapt and they adapt very quickly. I was only gone a matter of months when people were genuinely honest 
in their head when they said to me, we've never done it. We've always done it. No, they didn't say we've never done it like that. We've always done it like this. And that was without me there. So they'd found a way of doing what I did and found a way around it. Yeah. So I realized then that, first of all, never to get too uptight about a particular job, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that your skills can go anywhere, but also to realize that actually we're all just cogs and everybody will make their own way. Um, none of us are so important that we will, that other people won't carry on without us either. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but. Well, I, I think, know, I think it is, it, it's helpful in that um, you don't, you don't become too obsessional. Yeah. Don't get too obsessed because obses obsessing is also not a healthy um, thing to mm. do. A lot of people are mentioning dogs yeah. in the sidebar and how is this um, in terms of grief, grief. Ah. yeah, and how oh, important, yeah, how important animals are. And I know you know you and I have yeah. both experienced this personally, um, the loss of um, extreme loss around an animal and. I lost my dog Tilly a couple of years ago and it was it was I was on yeah it just took me over the edge Paul said he never wanted my husband for anyone who doesn't know that um never wanted us to have another animal because he didn't want to watch me suffer that in that way um again and we have got another dog obviously because I couldn't imagine my future without one and I know you've experienced that as well. Well, the thing is, because I was already in bereavement support when I lost my dog, I kind of was, I kind of had to, one, I experienced the loss, but second of all, I was looking at myself experiencing the loss and, and it is a huge physical loss. And I still, to this day, I have another dog as well. And I still miss my dog that I, mm. you know, chip, chipper. Um, because we had him from a pup and I got him when uh, Katrina was only three. So we're talking 20 years ago and he died at 11. So he's, but I physically missed that dog and I didn't realize how much and how every part of my life, like when I left the house, the dog, in, I never thought the dog was minding the house, but the house felt insecure because I was leaving it behind completely empty with no dog in it. Mm -hmm. um, I would sit and I would have to pretend that I was kind of reaching out to pet something like I'm physically, physically missed. But the thing I didn't have was the kind of the dog didn't have expectations of their life. The dog didn't have the dog lived in the present. I yeah. Like a, you know, so I didn't feel sorry for the I can't explain it, but the dog. The psychological part of a missing a human mm. being and their their presence but also for them you you grieve for them their loss of life mm. they've lost their lives so it was a hugely more bigger thing for a obviously to you use a human but a dog was a very very still a very physical loss you know mm. more physical than psychological i don't know if that explains mm. it but it was it was a grief but it was confined to to my grief my physical loss yeah i understand i understand what you're saying uh, because they're because they're living in the present and they're yeah. yeah they're not they're not articulating and they didn't well, they, plan their future they did they they, they didn't have, have goals a holiday planned they no exactly they planned, didn't have goals didn't have, and future they were going to see their friend the following week and whatever or whatever they wouldn't see their grandchildren or whatever you see 
Yeah. They they didn't have all of that, which you have in a person when you lose somebody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but you, you, grieve, you grieve you grieve for their loss. Yeah. Your yeah, loss you... of them and their loss of their life. There's yeah. so it's it's a much simpler thing, but it's still very deep. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. It's still a processing, isn't it? And it still is adding to our, I think, losing animals and those um, that happen that happens obviously more frequently because they don't live as long a lives as us um, is our opportunities to understand how to cope. And, and I said to Paul, actually, um, and I got Ted, the replacement dog in 2019. And I said to him, no, I I'll be fine. I understand that I'm going to feel that pain again, but it's okay because I yeah. don't want to live my life without an animal, so a dog. Um, so I've accepted that, and that was a great that was a great learning for me. And mm -hmm. and actually, that really helped me in my processing of lockdown mm -hmm. and Paul's processing of lockdown because he. I had the grief feeling when they locked us down and I was like, I can't run my workshops. I can't run my exhibitions. I can't do the job of serving my artist community in the way that I know how to do. But actually that memory of um, going, that's okay. That's okay. How can you do it? And reimagining it clicked in really quickly within 24 hours. And I do attribute that to um, having had those experiences of loss and working out how to manage myself um, and manage that experience. So a bit like you said, you can't you can't lock down the grief and not experience it. Trying to avoid grief as well is a, a ridiculous notion. You can't, you know, he wanted me to avoid, you know, Paul, he wanted me to avoid a possibility of heartache. He wanted to protect me. I remember when um, I got, I, I, I have a, another dog, Dave, I'll remember, I'll say his name. But, um, it, and, a, and that thing about replacing, he wasn't mm. a replacement. He was mm. a, another dog in my life, but I still mm. miss my dog, my chipper, my, I still yeah. miss chipper. And I, and I let myself miss him at times, you know, um, because mm. I think that's fine. That's okay, why wouldn't I? He was in my life. For, well yeah 11 years but you know it's mm. on from being a pup to to being an adult um, mm. and it was very sad and upsetting when he went and i there are just small examples which is why in in my youth in my because i'm quite um i have a few years behind me now um but that's why parents, <laughs> we all have mary <laughs> parents used to buy pet parents used to buy pets for their children so that children could experience a loss and could you know have practice if you know or have have an experience of how to deal with it like you know talking about the loss and what you do and how you remember it and all of those are all ways of teaching children how to grieve well that's, um, uh, that's of, yeah that's interesting because a lot of times parents don't want their children to see grief at all and then you think well how mm. the hell is a child ever going to know and sometimes then when they have their first loss my, I do know that like somebody whose first loss was their dog, um, and luckily, they learnt from that because when they lost their parents, that was obviously a huge grief. But they had somehow had a bit of practice. If you know, if if it had been 
the other way around if they've mm. never lost and they had said they'd never lost anything until they lost the dog um, it really did help I know but that's what parents used to do buy buy pets so that you could learn how to lose them as well especially in our house we lost many a budgie <laughs> and a tortoise we physically lost yeah. them the tortoise would run off <laughs> we'd get calls from the local corner shop it'd be like i think we've got your tortoise again oh yes it's <laughs> run off again we had a few so budgies we had, <laughs> yeah we had a budgie um i lost a cat i lost a dog a couple of dogs yeah all before i yeah before i was um, a teenager yeah, uh, that's a ma- I, I I hadn't thought about it like that. I had never thought about it in the concept of they're giving they're a training, but they are, aren't mm. they? They help us understand how to process these experiences, mm. and that that's really important for children to experience that because often the next loss, fundamental loss they'll experience is probably a grandparent, mm. which is is huge and having given a bit of training so it is lose it lose you have to it's a natural process of life we have to lose stuff we've lost a way of life at the moment and we're all experiencing that and having a bit of muscle memory about all these you know training grounds we've been on i wonder what you would say um about some of the processes we need to consider as we come out the other side of this what kind of well the uh, strategies the irony is is while we're all in kind of the same boat people feel slightly less lonely about it yeah Um, and grief you know if you're grieving and everybody else is not is happy yeah um then that can be a lot lonelier um Mm. for people so from cruise's point of view we are kind of expecting to get um, maybe more calls after the after we come out of lockdown than we are during lockdown um, and because people will have um, had very uh, disruptive sort of um, grief if you like processes like mm. funerals are not as they were mm. people aren't being able to be together in hospital mm. um, and so there's a lot of things that people will need to process but kind of they're kind of not doing it now because they have enough to deal with and um, so we think that after lockdown lifts we will get um, we will be needed so we're training up a lot of new people at the moment so that we have plenty of people available um, and because we're doing te- sorry I've gone on to talk about cruise yeah. no no that's good t- because we're doing telephone support as well, it means that we're not got this sort of um, like postcode thing. Because, mm. for example, we've got a lot of volunteers here in Bucks, but mm. other parts of the country don't have many. So we're hoping that will help to spread it out if we continue to do either um, phone or face to face is is better. You know, mm. it is better, but phone is good. We've 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 realised it that people work very well um, on the phone. Or on Zoom, so we found that, like, you know, people. If the support's good, it doesn't really matter how it's been given, you know, mm. what form we're using. And as you say, we've learned something new from from lockdown. Um, but the thing is, I think that people will probably find that their emotions will be more, feel a little bit more unique to them, which may then make them feel less 
maybe connected to others where everybody else is celebrating the end of lockdown they're coming out going but i haven't got the you know i haven't got the things i had when i started Mm. i've still lost them they haven't come back so there might be so it's just talk about it you know just you know talk to each other about it um allow yourself to feel actually no i would love life to return to normal but it actually is not the normal i would like you know Mm. or it's not the way i want because yeah as you you say Mm. normally the grief is quite unique to you and you're just like quite a local you know two or three other people a quite a tight group isn't it and and in this instance we've had a collective grief across the whole world because it's a pandemic so you do feel you're like part of this massive thing and we are all talking and there's lots of routes for communication online and as you say when this passes some of those will stop so i have put the link to the cruise website at the bottom here it says visit the cruise website please do go in and have a look at that guys um i'm gonna just do a quick screen share so people can see that um hang on a sec there we go share so you can see what that screen looks like so that's cruise there when you arrive on the screen and um there's you can get and there's lots of things on here about grief the helpline and as you were saying the local services mary yeah and then for parents um and then there's free booklets that's great isn't it yeah and, and practicalities yeah and, and we, are, we are voluntary so all the services are free i mean we do rely on clients um you know to donate obviously um but you know COVID has helped with a little bit with funding because people have realized that support is important so we have you know quite good funding at the moment but it's mm-hmm. temporary but um but what we provide is free you know, like most of the on the ground supporters like the, the supporters are volunteers like myself i am a, ca- a trained counselor but i volunteer for crews um um, but the helpline is good as well because you can ring up and talk like any time, you know. On the mm, so that's one there, and yeah. you just touched on this. You're a volunteer, so people can actually get involved and help as well. Yeah. So you can volunteer, you can donate, do some we fundraising. Do, we do. We do all. We train up our volunteers to be bereavement support volunteers. So mm. you know, you'll get all the training you need. Mm. Um, so if someone were looking have... for something, there you go. If someone were looking to do something different um, after this, and that, that was something that resonates mm. with them, then, yeah, sorry, you were going to say. I was going to say, people like might say, like people have said to me, like, how do you do that? That's going to be awful. And I said, well, actually, it's not, because I'm actually talking to somebody about their life. I'm not talking to, you know, they've lost somebody, but we're talking about their life and, the impact on them and how they can carry on their life because they're precious mm-hmm. the person you know the client is precious they're important so we're trying to help them so it for me it's very a positive thing it's you know we stay with the grief we're not going to force somebody to not grieve but we hold hope for them that their life you know they'll get it back on track or in a way that that suits you know they will be able to re redo their life um or re engage with their life um and i really, love that expression you know, we hold hope for them it's like yeah. we're holding hope for everyone now it will be fine 
it, we will get through this. We have no choice. We how you know holding the hope. I think visualizing the holding of the hope is actually a really lovely thing. So you know that we're going to come out the other side of it. You know you're going to be fine. You know you're going to have some muscle memory. But holding the hope, I love that, Mary. Thank you. Well, that's 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 what we do, and um, you know, so all all we can say to people is it won't always feel as bad as it does when they come to talk to us. But yeah, you know, it's it. We do know it helps for people to share and to talk and to work through, and that they will work out what they need to do. And we're just kind of holding them while they do that, or helping them to giving them a framework mm. in which, or at least time, even just you know to think about it. And you said at the beginning that you're someone who experienced quite a lot of grief. Do you find, because you've experienced a lot of grief in your life, that being a counsellor, a volunteer for Cruz, is a positive experience for you? Oh, it is, definitely. Oh, definitely it is. That's what I'm saying, that when people say to me, it must be very hard. It, you know, some it is hard to listen. But for me, knowing that that's helping somebody that means that it's i feel actually quite positive and i i i don't know i it energizes me it makes me feel good mm -hmm. that i've been able to listen and hold somebody while they're in maybe in their darkest hour knowing that they will come out of that um and and yeah so no i don't i find it a very um positive thing mm. to support mm. people yeah, so supporting each other, I think, is a really important mm. thing as we come out of this listening. We run groups, you know, and it, it's amazing. Like, we just facilitate these groups and we get groups of bereaved people who come together. And it's amazing how they help each other mm. and how one person might found a way that another person thinks, actually, I never thought of that. I'll try that. Or somebody else says oh i can do this but i can't do that and then somebody says oh no i can do that but i can't do this bit or even mm. like yeah i felt that way but then i realized or you know who knows mm. what they learn from each other but whatever they do they help each other tremendously mm. um and our job is just to allow it to happen you know to make it safe so that it can happen and people can help each other so groups group Groups are good as well, you know, support groups. Yes. Yeah, we. I think as a community, that's something that these talks have been really helpful. They're diverse mm. and we talk about all sorts of things because the more you talk and you get all of these uh, shared experiences, um, there might just be one art, one little thing in there for mm. one person. And that's, that's all that matters, that you find the one thing that shows a different perspective a different viewpoint because you know my we had a guy on last week talking about personality and um the differences in your adaptive personality to, to your innovative personality and i'm an innovator you won't be surprised i chuck the baby out with the bathwater. you know i do <laughs> which is why i had this habit of moving house quite quite regularly i've managed to get over that um because i instead of just adapting i just go oh, let's just chuck it up and change it all again and that's my approach to things and so when i'm talking to people my instinct brings the innovator out to give them a solution or to give myself a solution and that isn't always the right solution so being within a community 
means that an adapter will comment. You know, we've had all those comments about losing a dog, which was really interesting. That's what comes out of a community. So yeah, keep in touch with people talking, keep the doors open, questioning, listen, because you might hear something that not only you can hear someone's in pain and might need some help, but also you might hear something that helps you along the way. And just sharing sharing your experiences is, you know, good for other people. Like a lot of people, I suppose, finding a place where it's okay to share your pain because a lot of people feel they don't want to burden anybody with their pain, but actually it can be a gift to somebody mm. because that, that allows them to then share with you. So, you know, that is, you know, can be tremendous for each other to share. Um, See, you bring all these positive words, don't you? Holding <laughs> hope, get, sharing your sharing your your I hope feelings. I sound like a cliche. <laughs> no, you don't. But it's perfect, isn't it? It's like you are. You're giving the gift of optimism and experience, and and accepting something back. So that is an exchange of gifts. And in our capitalist world, we always think these gifts have to be material, but they don't. We give the gift of listening and time and shared experience. You know, and that's what you and I do when we chat. You know, we, we have a good natter and share our experiences and come away feeling better, even if there wasn't even a purpose to the conversation as a structure. And that's what you do with friends, isn't it? And that's the benefit of community. And that's the benefit of these amazing organisations like Cruise. I know there's um, this month that I think in in Sussex, we've got a great charity called St Michael's Hospice. And it looks after people who have terminal ill, etc., and provides support. And they're doing a fitness um, activity right through February. And everyone can get involved and it's all on screen and you can chat and away. And mm. I just think, what a great idea, because mm. everyone can feel like they're helping, but they're mm. also part of a community a, and a gathering together. So, no, I think that's uh, the sense of togetherness is it's great, but as you say, we have to be aware that as the lockdown eases, everyone's going to start experiencing things at a different rate and a different momentum. And some artists who are used to art fairs, they probably will take longer than the artists who are just used to creating their own exhibition or a small local exhibition. So it's being considerate mm -hmm. and caring and um, understanding that the coming out of lockdown won't be linear for everybody. It won't be a linear experience for the world. It'll be very unique and just be kind to each other. Thank you, Mary. And I, and, and I just wanted to say the lovely thing mm. that artists can do is mm. because people do have difficulties in expressing themselves and expressing their emotions and people can feel things, but they can't name it or they can't really put a form on it. They don't know what it is. So art can be great for that. For people seeing something and it appeals to them it, it kind of says something they it suddenly means something and it expresses something that maybe they can't put into words so artists contribute that for other people you know mm. when they see your art you've expressed yourself in your art and it could be that that is perfect for somebody else it says something to them which they couldn't do themselves so that's like sharing isn't it yeah well. we're, artists are really important they're mm. really important in the ecosystem of our world. Mm. And we really need them. And they have struggled um, during this time because 
many artists haven't set themselves up as businesses and um and so therefore they have had no support no financial support uh, but they're really important um in the ecosystem as you correctly mm-hmm. point out because they trade in emotion so they're using mm-hmm. all their emotion and all their experiences and putting that out in whatever medium they choose to work in mm-hmm. so yeah they they help people through the grief process and yeah articulate their feelings when I lost my best friend from college, she died when we were only in our 30s. Um, and I found this painting of a chair with a, with a beautiful blue um, dressing gown on the back of it. And it was beside an open window. And I bought it for myself. And, and I have it. And it's her. She's sitting and she's, she's left the chair behind. But I remember her. And, and to me, that was, that was a wonderful thing to find because it, it it meant I didn't lose, you know, when I look at it now, it's not, it, nobody else knows that when they look at it, they will see whatever they see, but I see her absence. Um, and, and so, you know, art can be very, me- it was very meaningful, whoever paint. I'm very grateful to whoever painted that painting, which I can't remember, sorry. But <laughs> we'll okay. make you go and get it in a minute. Was, it's <laughs> in the bedroom upstairs and it, it means so much to me no no it's too big <laughs> you know what I mean so yeah no absolutely you can, you can be somebody's important very important to somebody um, yeah somebody absolutely else, you know yeah, we find that a lot with collectors will buy for significant birthdays or significant moments in their life and um and those those um paintings or etchings or you know photographs whatever it is that they purchase sculptures have deep deep meaning for them and it's incredibly important so we really need the artists so we need you to carry on so we're here hopefully providing information and you know expressing those lovely emotions yeah exactly keep doing it and we don't you know there are systems and um community there for you to get involved with so that uh, it can protect you we did have a question let me just pop this up so jane cordry it's interesting saying about letting you feel the pain but it's really frightening to let that pain in when you are in lockdown and responsible for keeping your family buoyant does this spell trouble ahead for when lockdown eases Mm, very good question jane what do you think about that mary well the thing is like why you know I can understand it is that is what parents often do put their grief on hold so that you know they can support their family and um, but at the same time I always think well how do the family your children learn how to grieve or learn how to deal with loss they're they're dealing with loss if you don't show them in other words like if I am very upset and I explain to my family that I'm upset because of what's happened. Then they think, yeah, that's I can see that that's upsetting. And I can see and then say right now, come on, let's make the dinner or let's go and do mm. something nice. Let's go for a walk. Well, you've suddenly taught them two things. One, it's OK to feel sad. And two, it's OK then to get up and do something because the children are very good at that. They're very good at recovering. You know, people think mm. it's because they don't you know, feel deeply, they do, but they will distract themselves very quickly with something else. So you're kind of helping them to see that that's okay. It's okay to be really upset, but then to actually 
then go off and do something, you know, to help yourself, to make yourself feel a little better, to distract yourself from that, to say, oh, gosh, it's just because I really miss my mum today. Mm. Okay, that's really sad, but let's just go and let's let's do something. My mum likes flowers. Let's go out and pick some flowers or in the garden. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So Jane's saying, yes, that's what she, you're right. It's role modelling, isn't it? We do have a responsibility um, to role model. My husband said to me earlier, oh, because we were talking about these camera things. And he said, you were really stressed. And I said, yes, but at least now I tell you I'm stressed. Now I say, (laughs) this is really making me feel stressed. And And he said, it's because it's out of your comfort zone and you're out of control. I said, I am. And you're right. And it could go wrong. And so I'm feeling stressed. And now... I'm saying that, and Jamie was stood here listening because um, he was helping me with the camera stress. And um, and you're role modelling this. Uh, you know, it's okay to say this out loud. It doesn't make you less of a person. Um, it, it just makes you more of a person. Makes you more, <laughs> of, more a of a real person. Yeah. And this whole social media and everything is over the last like how many years? I don't know. Is it ten or is it fifteen now? Makes me feel very old. However long social media has been going on has created this homogenized world of perfection and that's not real that's not real we are real people so yeah i think you're absolutely right um role model role model the right way to to deal with this if you're in a situation it is really frightening and you can feel really frightened how are you going to deal with that and show that to your children you know Again, we go back to that, how, you know, showing them through um, how to lose a pet and, uh, you know, role modelling positively like that. Thank you so much, Mary. That has been brilliant. Right. I, hope you, I hope you enjoyed it. Yes. <laughs> um, I think it's been absolutely great. Absolutely great. You, you know, highlighted some things that I think we don't talk about enough. I think we need to talk about them. We need to be much more open about talking about grief. And especially now, because as you say, as we come out of lockdown, we're all going to experience this differently. And so if we're having an open conversation about it now, people will know where to go. You know, there are people there. There is crews. There are other Mm. places that people can go to. Um, Katrina saying, thank you both. What an interesting and open session. You're welcome. That's Katrina is Mary's (laughs) daughter. (laughs) uh, She she didn't put me in the in the in the uh, soundproof box then. (laughs) (laughs) She She listened to us and. No, I think it's really important to role model and have a really open conversation about this now, because this is going to be very pertinent in a couple of months time. And Mm. Mary, I think you're going to be very busy, but I know people are in incredibly safe hands with you. So thank you you so much for sharing (laughs) all of that with us. Uh, You're more than welcome. So we'll see. We're going to go off now. Um, Later on this afternoon or this evening, quarter to seven this evening, I'm interviewing um, Tabish Khan, the Londonist art critic. So hopefully some of you will still not be eating your dinner and come back. That'll be quite a different conversation. Although I, I feel that there'll be some similarities because Tabish has experienced that whole close down of all of his normal life through, you know, he's an art critic and he can't go to exhibitions. So I should think there'll be some crossover. And then um, who have we got next week? So we've got Tabish this afternoon. And then next week, you might like this one, Mary. We've got um, 
Dr. Anchery, who's a Ayurvedic doctor, talking about your um, how to look after yourself um, from an Ayurvedic medicine perspective, um, so a naturalistic um, perspective now, both in lockdown, under stress, and as we kind of emerge from lockdown. So, yeah, come back, listen. All of these can be seen on Catch Up. We've been live streaming onto YouTube and onto Facebook. So hopefully lots of people have had seen lots of, um, had lots of interesting dialogue there. And I'll see you all later. Thanks, Mary. I'll catch up with you in a little while. All okay. right. Take, Take care. care. Bye.